This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Some of the most successful people in the world have a superpower. It's not their expertise nor their experience. In fact, it's something that we can all create to live a meaningful life deep connections and partnerships. Hello everyone, welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz. For 15 years, my guest had a ringside seat into how partnerships create success. She interviewed dozens of world leaders and influential people. Nelson Mandela, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Richard Branson and Peter Gabriel, just to name a few. Jean Olwang, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Liz, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Jean is the founding CEO and president of Virgin Unite. And I guess I like to call it sort of the umbrella organization for all of the Virgin Group's charities. And if you're wondering if this is the Virgin Group started by Sir Richard Branson, you are correct. (laughs) Jean, you have said that the world right now needs a relationship reset. What does that mean? I think, Liz, we have been pushed so far and divided and with fear right now, particularly in America. And I feel like when we grow up from the time we're almost born, we're kind of pushed to feel like we have to get the gold star. We have to be the number one. So we're pushed into this sense of hyper-individualism. And I really feel that that's at the root cause of many of the issues that we have in the world right now. Mm -hmm. And it's not our natural state as human beings. We need to be hyper-connected. So I think there's a real opportunity to have a relationship reset and shift our thinking from transactional relationships to thinking in a relational way and building those deep connections that really make us who we are in this world. And, you know, lots and lots of research has also shown that that's actually the path to a meaningful life and a long life. How do you think COVID factored into that? Did it help us or did it hurt us in terms of connectedness? I think that COVID did a bit of both. I think during COVID, the one thing that was missed in its absence was human connection. So I think we all started to realize and understand the importance of human connection. But I think it also divided us because we couldn't be together. And I think social media, you know, has the potential to authentically connect us in more meaningful ways. But I think often right now, it's actually dividing us and making us more fearful of one another. And we've come to this point, I think, where we are so divided that we can't even have conversations about our differences. And we need to figure out how we can come back and learn to disagree without being disagreeable with one another. You've also spoken about how in your own quest for success, you had not personally invested in relationships because your mindset was, how many glass ceilings can I crack? (laughs) I think a lot of women can relate to that in particular. For 18 years, you did just that. You were living and working on five different continents, helping to build a successful mobile phone startup around the world. What was it that made you realize that that was the missing link in your own life? Like many people, I remember my first job at GTE, my very first well-intentioned boss uh, gave me two books. One was The Art of War on how to survive in corporate America. And the second, just in case I didn't make it, was The Joy of Cooking. (laughs) It had the exact opposite effect on me. So I was determined that I was going to prove that I could be successful in corporate America and the corporate world without having to use weapons of mass destruction. So that's hence why I went on this 18-year journey, really trying to smash glass ceiling after glass ceiling. 
And, you know, I was sitting as co-CEO of an organization. And I realized when I looked back on that last 18 years, I had been becoming less and less myself and feeling more and more alone. And so I was at this moment of really redefining for myself what success meant for me. And I had this amazing opportunity to help build this group at about 18 years ago called The Elders, which is a group of global leaders that was started by Nelson Mandela, his wife, Grasa, Archbishop Tutu, Kofi Annan. And I have to say, Liz, I was sitting at the feet of these great human beings, and I was trying to figure out how they had become who they were in this world and had these outsized legacies of impact. And what became really clear the more I watched them is they became who they were because of the relationships that they nurtured around themselves, whether it was with each other, whether it was with their romantic partners, whether it was their friends or their work partners. So that set me on this quest of how do we really build these deep, meaningful connections that make us the very best version of ourselves? And then the second question I had is how do you take those and ladder them up into large-scale collaborations? So that's really what my quest has been for the last 15 years. I know that with the elders in particular, and President Jimmy Carter was one of those early elders. And when you guys first proposed the elders to him, he was kind of didn't believe in the idea. He eventually came around and said that that was one of the most important things he had ever done in his life. I can't imagine how rewarding that must have felt to hear from him saying that. Yeah. And Liz, I think this was the most horrible moment in my life. We were presenting to a group, it was probably like maybe 200 entrepreneurs from all over the world, frontline leaders, and a lot of the elders. And I can remember presenting the idea of the elders with this flip chart, and it had been an idea of Peter Gabriel and Richard Branson. And I remember President Carter with his piercing blue eyes just staring at me, and I'm up there presenting, thinking, he loves this idea, this is brilliant, this is going to be amazing. And then he stood up after I finished presenting. And he looked at me and he said, I don't believe in this idea. I don't think it's going to work. And I literally felt like I wanted to melt into the cement and never come back up again. And I remember looking at the back of the room and seeing Peter Gabriel and Richard's faces just almost falling to the floor. And we kind of scurried back into Richard's office at the time. And I've never before or since seen them so silent. And we were thinking, what do we do now? This idea has just gone blown up. And then we pulled ourselves together and we had this deep belief in the idea and in each other. And we stepped out. And for the next two weeks, we had this group of 200 people there. We worked with them to co-create the idea. And President Carter helped us create the values, what the purpose of the elders, and so did Archbishop Tutu and the other elders that were there. And by the end of those two weeks, we came out with a million times better plan than what we went in with. And it was such an important lesson to me. I would call it almost this sense of unsettling collective intelligence, of making sure that you get all kinds of people from all walks of life to co-create with you, to come and bring other ideas. Because President Carter had co-ownership with us, he then loved the idea and put his all into it for years. And so, as you said, when he retired, he felt like it was one of the most important things he did in his lifetime. Briefly explain what The Elders does so our audience can understand, because we're all around the world right now. The Elders is this group of global leaders. It was an idea, as I mentioned, that was started by Richard Branson and Peter Gabriel. And the thought was, we needed this group of global elders that could come together to help resolve conflicts behind the scenes, to help stop conflicts from happening, and also to shout about unacceptable issues in the world. And what was really interesting, Liz, is when we started this some 18 years ago, we thought all of these great people would give maybe a day 
or maybe two of their time during the year. And my gosh, the opposite has happened. They have worked so closely together, become such dear friends, and also had such significant impact both as a collective and as clusters within that collective. Do you ever pinch yourself, Jean, realizing the magnitude of the breadth and depth of knowledge, wisdom, and insight that you've been witness to with these amazing individuals that you've just mentioned? I pinch myself every day because, I mean, I'm <laughs> so fortunate that I get to do work and wake up every morning work that I love and just be surrounded by these great human beings who have dedicated their lives really to service. And so that was one of the reasons why I was so passionate about writing a book, because I felt like I almost had such responsibility after sitting at their feet and listening to them to share that with as many people as possible. That's been the beautiful thing of watching like Kofi Annan, you know, at his funeral, someone from his team stood up and said he lived a quiet, powerful life. And that was the essence of Kofi was he had this quiet power that he got things done. He made them happen, but he doesn't have to be the biggest person, the biggest voice in the world. He was always someone who listened and came in really to lift others up. And I think that's been the beautiful thing about working with some of these extraordinary people that are literally living in service, not in control. Mm, beautifully said. Your book is entitled Partnering, Forge the Deep Connections That Make Great Things Happen. And it was published by Simon Sinek, no less. That's another amazing person. And you write about all these discoveries of the partnerships and this superpower. And there are six specific principles that you discovered that are common across all types of partnerships. We're talking friends, family, business, and even romantic relationships. If you can, just give us the shorthand list of those six, and we'll talk a little bit more about them after that. Yeah, so it was beautiful interviewing these partners because these beautiful patterns emerged, the six degrees of connection. And the first one was really this concept of something bigger. And we knew that people would have something bigger in their partnerships because we selected them in part in that, but we never knew how much it would dominate. And then there was this beautiful concept, being all in, 100% having each other's back. And then this thing we called the ecosystem of virtues, that is a bit like a moral compass for these partnerships. And there were six virtues like trust and respect that were common across all. And then these two really interesting things that emerged that I hadn't expected. Um, one was called magnetic moments, which these partnerships all had these daily practices, these rituals, these traditions that kept them connected. And then Celebrate Friction was a really interesting one because it wasn't that these partnerships were void of friction and difficulties. It was that they were able to have tools that lifted them above the drama. And that's what Celebrate Friction is all about. And then the last one is this beautiful essence called Collective Connections. And that's where people took their deep connections and they laddered them up to something extraordinary in the world, like ending smallpox in India as a collaboration or ending apartheid in South Africa, or protecting the ozone layer. I'm going to let our listeners read about the specific details of those six, but I want to touch on two of them, and I think they're probably the two that you were referring to. First was the magnetic moments, because you write that initially you believed that relationships just kind of happened, and you really didn't need to put the effort and the planning in, but you now say that they do require those magnetic moments. Can you give us an example of what is a magnetic moment? I think often we make that mistake that we think we don't have to put hard work into relationships. And certainly after 15 years, it was clear that everyone puts hard work and they continue to put hard work. And magnetic moments were these beautiful things where all these partnerships thoughtfully thought about these moments where they would come together and deepen their connection. And they were moments of joy. They were moments of communication. They were moments of community. Like, for example, in the communication front, 
this amazing partnership, Joe and Paz, they had something beautiful called Friday Talk, where every single Friday they went outside their home for an hour and each person had a half an hour to talk about what was great that week and what wasn't so great that week. And it said that changed their entire relationship because it stopped any fights from happening in the week because they knew they had the time on Friday to really talk things through with people. One of the principles also is the celebrate friction. And you talk about you can't be afraid to talk about the tough stuff. And you have many wonderful stories that exemplify that, one of them being the two pilots who managed to stay friends through attempting to fly around the world in a solar-powered plane, and even Ben and Jerry from Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream, who stayed friends running their business, and they had something that they called the veto card. And I think that is such a wonderful example that we can all take lessons from, the veto card. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a beautiful example. And I have to say, Ben and Jerry, their interview was two hours of laughter and and love. You know, I never (laughs) heard love mentioned so much in a business as I did within those two hours. And they had this beautiful thing. They always thought their friendship was a number one priority. So they created this tool called the veto power, where if either of them ever disagreed with the other one in a significant way, they were able to play this veto card so they would stop something from happening. And they said they used it very, very rarely. But when they used it, it was really critical in order to preserve the friendship. And lots of them had these tools, like Airbnb had this amazing thing where they would bring their team together and they had a session they called Elephants, Dead Fish, and Vomit. And that was a chance to have this honest, open communication where people could talk about what are the elephants in the room that no one's talking about? What are the dead fish that may be sitting there for years that are just not getting discussed and just getting forgotten about? And then what's the vomit where people may just need to get something off their chest? And they said by creating this safe space, it deepened the trust that they had in one another to be able to have those honest conversations. One of the other things that you write about, which I think is so important in all relationships, but maybe even more particular in romantic personal relationships, is positive amnesia. (laughs) Why is that so important? I love this one, Liz, because many of these partnerships I've known for years and worked with for years, so I know that they have had difficulty in their partnerships. And it was really interesting when I started this whole process 15 years ago, everyone said to me, you have to get the drama, you have to get the fights. And I think we're so programmed as human beings right now to think it has to be dramatic. But what was really beautiful is I really dug in when I first started interviewing to see if I could get drama. And I didn't get drama. And so I was trying to figure out why. And what I realized is that these partnerships were protecting one another. So they loved each other so deeply that they didn't want to betray one another. So they had something that we ended up calling positive amnesia, that they were able to forget about some of the past difficulties and not have to bring them up again and again and again, that they were able to work through them. And that was the importance around these tools, is that they were able to lift above that drama and not stay in that whirlpool and roller coaster of drama that we see so many relationships sitting in. But it didn't mean that they didn't work through the difficult moments. That was the real, they created that space for those difficult conversations. I love positive amnesia. Got to remember that one. (laughs) One of the topics that I truly enjoy discussing with a lot of people is about giving ourselves permission to be vulnerable, particularly in the workplace. And you write about this in your book as well. And your father had some very specific thoughts on being vulnerable in the workplace. Yes, Liz, and I I think probably many women out there could relate to this. My dad spent his entire career, he was my hero. I mean, he spent his entire career working in Sears and Roebuck. 
And when I first started in business, you know, he was very clear with me that you can't cry, you can't show vulnerability, or else you won't be able to work your way up a company. So that's how I started my career, really. And I think that's one of the reasons why, as I mentioned, the more glass ceilings I broke, the less and less vulnerable I was, the less and less I showed who I was at the table, because I felt mm-hmm. like I had to come in. I was probably, it's probably similar to you and to many other females. I was the only female sitting at the table, probably 99% of the time in my career. And so you felt like you had to make sure that you proved yourself every moment, everything that came out of your mouth at every meeting. I learned the, the hard way of having to actually become, again, less and less who I authentically was because I wasn't bringing my vulnerability to the workplace. And then one um, incredible boss that I worked for, I was in a meeting at a board meeting and I actually burst into tears. And, you know, it was completely mortifying because all I could think of was my father thinking, oh my God, this is like the worst thing I could do. And then this chair sat me down and he shared a story with me about when he burst into tears at a meeting. And it opened that space up for me to think it was okay to be vulnerable. And that really changed my whole perspective. And I think as my father got older, we had a lot of beautiful conversations where I think he started to realize that perhaps that wasn't the right thing to do in the workplace. And, you know, today, that latest Gallup poll shows that 21% of people are engaged at work. So 79% of people in the world are not engaged in the workplace. And I think a lot of it is because we have shaped these outdated practices that don't allow ourselves to bring our whole selves to work and to be vulnerable. I agree. You also write in the book about the individual path that you went down as you were writing this book and that you would not have found your life partner, Chris Waddell, without going through this process. How so? Because I was so focused on my career and breaking glass ceilings, I wasn't as focused as I needed to be on my relationships. And then seeing the elders completely shifted me. So as I started to sit at the feet and interview these 65 plus partnerships in the world, Each time I started to realize more and more the importance of investing time in building those relationships. And I don't think if I hadn't gone through that process when I met Chris now 10 years ago, I don't think I would have given the time it needed to make sure that I stuck in there and built a deep connection with him. I look at many of my past graveyards relationships and I just didn't put the time and the hard work in. If any of our listeners are wondering, boy, that name sounds familiar. Well, yes, Chris, in full transparency, was also a guest on my show. And folks, if you haven't listened to his story, please do. He is as inspiring and amazing as his lovely wife, Jean, is. And I know you guys have a ritual each day. And given that you guys travel so much, this is an important ritual. Will you share that with us, please? Yeah. And first, I have to say, Chris is way more inspiring than me. And he is just... (laughs) amazing human beings. I'm thankful every day to have him as my life partner. And, you know, we have this ritual where, because as you mentioned, Liz, we travel, we want to make sure that we stay connected with what's happening in that day. So we share five things that we're most grateful for from that day. And we borrowed that from another partnership. And it's a beautiful ritual because it's easy to say three things you're most grateful for. But when you get into four and five, you have to really think about what happened in that day. And it opens your mind and it also opens your relationship with your partner because you're sharing things at a deeper level. And so that's why we do the five. So wonderful. I am curious, where did this passion for this kind of work that you're doing at Virgin Unite come from? What were your inspirations growing up that said, wow, I need to go down this philanthropic path? 
Yeah, I think my parents always had a sense of service in their hearts. So that was kind of embedded. But then I think there was really probably three moments that pivoted me. And I would call them kind of disruptive detours when I was working in the corporate world. And one of them was I went to as a VISTA volunteer in America and worked in a homeless shelter in Center City, Chicago. And, you know, seeing thousands of kids come into our doors, I started to think about why is the system so broken? And realizing that the not-for-profit, the business, and the social sector weren't working together. And then when I started to help build mobile phone companies in different markets, I saw the same social and environmental issues playing out. And again, we weren't coming together as sectors to resolve them. And I remember sitting at one point, um, we were building a mobile phone company in South Africa called MTN. And we launched prepaid services. It was the first time prepaid services were launched in South Africa. I watched our annual sales targets. We made them in one month. And so we went into the townships and saw people using these phones for entrepreneurial purposes. They set up briefcase phones. They set up trailer phones. That realization of the power of business to drive change in the world. And then the last pivot I had made, I was working again and helping build mobile phone companies. And I decided in Australia, I was going to go work for National Parks and Wildlife. And I saw the same thing there, that we just were not working together as sectors. So over this journey, Liz, I became really obsessed and passionate with how do we radically collaborate at a scale that we can't even begin to imagine across sectors, across geographies, across cultures. Because I feel like the issues we are facing right now as human beings are interconnected and our systems are not serving this deeply interconnected world that we currently have. So that's where I get the fire in my belly to think of how do we change these unacceptable systems to serve every human being in today's world. All right. One last question. How does Sir Richard Branson come into your life in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) I was working in Australia for the National Parks and Wildlife Foundation. And I got a call from Virgin saying, would you help us set up a mobile phone company in Australia? Richard was on my board and I happened to overhear him talking about wanting to do more philanthropically. I put together a business plan to say this is what the group could do and sent him that business plan. And then I'll never forget, I was uh, standing in my house in Australia and Richard called and we had a conversation about the plan. And at the end of the call, he said, let's do this. Let's make this happen. And that was, yeah, some over 18 years ago. I packed my bags, moved to London, and then we started Virgin Unite. So I've had the great honor of working with him now for some 22 years. It's been just amazing watching how committed and passionate he is about driving change in the world. So fascinating. Folks, if you'd like to learn more about Gene and the mission of Virgin Unite, just go to their website, which is unite.virgin.com. Unite.virgin.com. You'll also find more about Gene's book, Partnering. Gene, thank you for all that you are doing to make such a positive difference in the world today. And I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you, Liz. And thanks for all you're doing to make a big difference in the world as well. It's extraordinary what you've done in your career. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you. When we all work together for the greater good, we can turn challenges into opportunities. We can forge deep, meaningful relationships and live our best life in every area of our life. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.